Spencer Bauer from the Tijuana Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio making his weekly Monday appearance. It is his weekly Monday appearance. It's the managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron. What follows is he does every week. Dave Cameron analyzes all baseball. Analyzing all baseball is, in fact, at the core of this conversation because on Monday, Dave Cameron announced that Fangraphs will be awarding, at the end of the season, will be awarding the Fangraphs Player of the Year Award. I assume that is the first annual, we'll call it, the first annual Fangraphs Player of the Year Award. I ask because I literally don't know. I asked Dave Cameron some questions about that award. I will have a ballot for it, as will 10 other Fangraphs employees. Each of us will submit ballots with 10 player names on them, is part of the story. What else we discuss in this episode are playoff odds. Who's closest to 50% today? Probably not the same team as tomorrow. Wilmer Flores' defense, very briefly because I force Dave Cameron to talk about that. And finally, uh, regarding that Fangraphs Player of the Award, uh, Cameron describes some strategies for delivering it to the player in question. Whether we can actually physically hand it to the player remains to be seen. We might have to just, you know, send it to the team and ask them to give it to him. But, you know, we might also send, like, Enosaurus to show up at their house uh, with an award, like a publisher's clearinghouse check and some balloons, uh, knock on their door and film the whole thing and, uh, you know, maybe get Eno arrested. It's Fangraphs Audio Features, managing editor Dave Cameron, and it begins right now. I assume this is just your cover for being late again. Let's call it user error. Are you familiar with that term? Yeah. Only with you. Yeah, that's right. User error. Hey, you know, speaking of that, you know who has not committed a lot of errors and is actually playing reasonable defense? This is – I'm realizing as I say that you, this will, you will not care. But the answer is Wilmer Flores. Yeah, I don't care. Okay. Yeah. He's uh, – he's, I don't know. He seems like your kind of prospect, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. He's been like playing he, a lot of He hits stuff. well in the minors, but doesn't really have a position. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's going to be good. Yeah. I think he's going to be pretty good. Like, better or worse than Marcus Semien? Hey, jury's still out, Cameron. <laughs> uh, I, I, think I'm the jur- I think the jury just went home. I don't think they're no. still out. I think they just left. The, uh, yeah, where is that jury, I guess? Uh, <laughs> I get, Juries don't really get to decide... How good a baseball player is, I guess. Unless, unless it's like after Ar- fact. Ar- arbitration. Oh, that's interesting. Is it? Is it? This is one judge, yeah. Yeah, right. But you know, judge, jury, they're, they both start with j. J. We haven't dis- we haven't discussed the the, pro- the process of free agency a while, but I continue to be amazed that the decision to award a player either some Y or some X. Um, is made by someone who does not necessarily have any expertise in baseball whatsoever. Yeah, well, they're not really trying to judge the merits of the player. They're trying to judge the merits of the argument for the team and the agent. So they're basically just standing in saying, yeah, it's like a debate. Like, how well did one side prove their case? Right. And it's kind of up to the sides to, to like, make a baseball argument. But, I, I mean, a lot of teams, a team could be like, um this guy only had 50 RBIs. Look at the, the other players who've had 50 RBIs. Yes. Right? That, that is kind of what they do. Right. But uh, but that's different than 
I guess it's, so. It's so it's how much the player should be made relative to the market that has existed previously, or the markets that have existed previously. Correct. Yeah, basically saying this is the established norm for players of this level. Now we're going to prove that this player is of that level. Right. But but the but the way the, the means by which they prove levels is different than how you and I might prove the player's level. Yeah, but I think. Uh, so if if we made the judge uh, or the arbiter uh, the decider based on like maybe more better information than, than what they're using, rather than trying to decide the merits of the argument presented to them, we'd have a pretty significant problem unless we had one judge or arbiter hear every single case and he was uh, completely unbiased and neither side had any problem with any of his decisions. Because if you have, you know, say you're Andrelton Simmons and you go to arbitration and you decide, you know, you don't like what the Braves are offering you, obviously he signed a long-term deal, so this is super hypothetical, but uh, you go and you happen to get a guy who doesn't care at all about defense. He's like uh, the WRC plus arbiter. So he gives you $3 million. But then you're, you know, Michael Bourne and you get the guy who's like UZR is number one and he gives you $15 million. Like, you know, you don't want you don't want uh, variation in arbitration awards based on the whims of the judge, right? Right. Yeah. All right. I accept it. I mean, I didn't. I wasn't going to argue that passionately on behalf of what I was saying. Yeah. Well, do you ever argue passionately about anything besides you know marginal prospects? No, probably not. I get to talk about Blaine Weller today for Kylie McDaniel's piece on the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks. That was probably exciting for you. Yeah, it was. It was pretty yeah. exciting. Yeah. I, I, we actually, while we were recording uh, Kyle McDaniel's most recent appearance on the podcast, he texted a contact he knows perhaps within the Diamondbacks organization. Um, you know, what do you think of Blaine Weller? Should he be on the list? Uh, we stopped recording, but shortly after we did, he received a text back and the response was something to the effect of, uh, don't let him Clog up your list. <laughs> Something like that. That is uh, some high praise. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So well, we'll see what happens with uh, Blaine Weller. Blaine Weller. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to uh, ask you about a couple things. In fact, clogging up clogging up lists remind, reminds me of base clogging. Um, which is something about uh, something about which you wrote, I think, last week, yeah? Yeah, I did an Instagram post about. But it. I don't want to talk about that right now. I want to I want to discuss briefly, or less briefly, the Fangraphs Player of the Year award. That was an interesting segue. Why did you bring up base clogging if you didn't want to ask about it? I want to maybe talk about it later, depending on how long this Player of the Year <laughs> thing goes. Okay. Did you like forget that you wanted to ask about the Player of the Year? No, award I'm saying or? it's it's interesting that we it's notable that I use the word clogging in a different context because we might talk about clogging in the context in which you discussed it. However, what's taking priority in this particular conversation, Dave Cameron, is the Fangraphs Player of the Year Award. That segue was the Wilmer Flores defense of segues. <laughs> I think he's not that bad. I think <laughs> I think he's not he maybe is not that bad. Okay. I don't think he's that great, but he's playing shortstop without embarrassing himself in the majors and that's I I think Wilmer Flores will not receive any Fangraphs Player of the Year Award. Not no, this year, no. Yeah. So what well, are we doing? Maybe we got, any year. We got ten. We got to, we got to come up with a list of ten ten dudes. You, yes. So you are part of the eleven panelists. That have Were been you selected. thinking? Mm, 
10, were you thinking maybe of just cutting it down to 10 and maybe excluding someone? Yes. So Appleman said I had to include all the full-time people. Oh. And you're te- this is technically what you do for a living. I don't know why we pay you, but we do, so therefore you got to vote. All right, and so I, I thought it would be weird if it was like all the full-time people minus the stoolie. Yeah, it would be a little bit embarrassing but uh, or difficult to explain. The So we're going to... So we're going to do this. We're going to do a Player of the Year award. We are. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the idea basically to acknowledge uh, the player. Right. Because one thing we run into with regard to the most valuable player is every year, right, There's there are multiple stories dealing with the semantic subtleties of the word valuable. It's the only argument. Literally every year, it's the same thing. Like, right. oh, it's not the best player, it's the most valuable. And I define valuable however I want in order to get it to match up to my arbitrary, uh, conclusion that I've already come to. Uh, it's, it's a name. Mm-hmm. I, you know, nothing, I, I have an MVP vote this year, so, you know, I'm not trying to bash the BBWA's award, but the fact that the, the argument is not about baseball, it's about this vague meaning of the word valuable is, it's annoying, <laughs> and I'm looking forward to not having that debate about our Player of the Year award. Right, and I will say, for the, for the many things they do provide us uh, in the way of uh, sort of reportage, as a population, uh, baseball writers, beat writers, making arguments like about the subtleties of the English language is not. That's not. I'm going to say that's not their. That's not their wheelhouse. Yeah, especially because there's actual there's no evidence that the way it's being defined by modern baseball writers is the way it was intended. Right. It's uh, it's not like they have something handed down from you know baseball writers of the 1920s who invented this award and said uh, this is what we actually mean it to be. If you look historically, the way it's being interpreted now doesn't match up with history. Right. And wait a second, is it is there or is there not a character clause in the MVP award? It, so it's not really a clause. It basically says you can take into account non-performance issues if you want. It doesn't tell you you have to. It doesn't say they should overrule everything else. But there's a, a line that says if you want to, you know, include an adjustment basically for the uh, for the character and you know leadership of a player, you can. Okay. So wait. So we're going to be casting a ballot ranked in sequential order as well as a grade. Yes. So. Uh, Essentially, the the problem we have with lists, and I think this is not just our list, but any list, is they can give um, two things that are not very similar placement next to each other yes. and have no way of, you know, talking about a divide. So, you know, like one of the things that we see with, say, a, a prospect list, right? Like some guy might be the number three prospect and another guy might be the number four prospect, but there's this huge gulf in between them where, you know, they aren't actually that similar in prospects. There just happens to be you know, a big drop-off between the top three and then the next tier. Uh, and so, you know, this comes up with uh, any kind of ranking you do, 1 through 10 or 1 through 100 or whatever, it doesn't matter. Whatever you're ranking, you uh, have to put things in proximity that are not always close to proximity. So as a secondary test to see how people actually uh, grade a player's season, you're also going to be asked to include a grade uh, for the player's season that will uh, kind of allow you to say, okay, I think, you know, player A or the, the number one player maybe is worth 100, uh, like on a scale of 100. He's the best player possible. This is the best season anyone could ever have. This is, you know, Babe Ruth in his prime or something. And then the number two player is only like a 75. Like he's nowhere close to the number one player, but I have to put him second because he's better than everybody else. Uh, but it doesn't, it will allow you to 
give some distance between the top two so that, you know, if one person leaves uh, the guy who you think is obviously number one off the list, he doesn't get totally screwed uh, when everybody else was saying, you know, this isn't even close. This is the obvious winner. Okay. And so it will it be on a scale of 1 to 100? Uh, I'm leaning that way. I haven't decided for sure. It might be 2080 if we decide to do it, like, baseball-wise, but yeah. it'll either be 2080 or 0 to 100. Okay. All right. Yeah. And what do I have to give that to you? Uh, the end of the regular season, so uh, September 29th. Do you think you'll be Do you think you'll be completing yours the 29th? I mean, what point do you think? What do you What point do you think that there's no more time for this? The order in which you'd vote for the players to be to be rearranged. Uh, well, the deadline is September 29th, so that's <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm telling you. You're you're yeah, out yeah, of time yeah. on that day. <laughs> but, but like, if it's September 28th, the, the, if you can't if say you came up with a list on the 28th, do you think it's gonna it's gonna change between then and the next day? Depends on if uh, Clayton Kershaw is pitching the last day of the regular season. Maybe, right? Oh, yeah, like, uh, right. I mean, I think this, you know, not to say that who's going to vote for who. I don't actually know who I would vote for at this point. But I think the obvious candidates are probably Kershaw and Trout. And then maybe if you really buy into catcher framing metrics, you throw in Jonathan Lucroy. And if you, you know, really like home runs and don't want to penalize for loss of playing time, maybe you keep Giancarlo Stanton in the mix. Uh, but I think, you know, Kershaw and Trout are probably going to be the top two uh, on most ballots, I would guess. Uh, I could be wrong, but that's that's my guess. Uh, and I would think if Kershaw gets one final start, it could make, you know, a, a little bit of a difference in someone's mind, especially if he has a superlative performance. Right. And where, where, cause we had this conversation with Jeff Passan last week, right, where we were, uh, making a distinction between a player's performance in 2014, uh, 2014 versus a, a player's overall ability, his true talent level, right? Right. Yeah. And so this award, this award will be is is intended to assess the player's 2014 season. Correct. This is a performance award, not a we think you are the best overall player alive. Uh, and you know, I think if that was the case, then we would have just called this thing the Mike Trout Award. Mike Trout Award. And yeah. we, you know, we'd be like, hey, for the 17th consecutive year, we give Mike Trout the Mike Trout Award. Mike Trout Award, yeah. Uh, which you know could be funny, but might get old. Uh, but that's not what this is for. This is for the best performance uh, in a given season, as best as we can tell. You know, I think the reality is most years there's going to be a decent crop at the top where you can make a good case for a lot of guys. Not the last couple of years, maybe, but before that, uh, you know, you had kind of a, a grouping of guys at the top who are all very similar. I think this year we're going to have a grouping of guys at the top who are very similar, and you can make arguments for trout or non-trout people and not be crazy. Right. Yeah. You know, I noticed today Michael Brantley has slipped into yeah. uh, the second spot or tied with Luke Roy for the second spot. Having a uh, very good year. The more leaderboard. Yeah. Very yeah. fascinating sort of player. It makes a lot of contact. Yeah. I think he's kind of the uh, example of why people like to bet on guys who have everything except for power. Because sometimes power just shows up, you know, like out of nowhere. Brady Anderson hits 50 home runs or. You know, Michael Brantley, it's a 150 WRC plus. If you do everything well except for hit for power, and then the power comes, you're pretty good. Yeah, you're going to be good at that point. Well, what if it was reversed? What if you have uh, everything except um, contact skills? Uh, I think it's much more rare for a bad contact hitter to learn how to make contact. Mm -hmm. I think that's generally more of like a physical flaw that is difficult to overcome or an approach that, you know, if you have bad contact, it's because you're swinging for the moon because you have a lot of power. Mm -hmm. And it's difficult to to 
adjust and still hit for power. Yeah. And it should be noted how foolish that would be because, uh, to the best of my knowledge, no one has ever hit the moon with a batted ball. Uh, well, it's possible that uh, Neil Armstrong took a batted ball with him mm-hmm. and, and then hit the moon with it. Yeah. So we don't know. Yeah. It's uh, a mystery of life. So uh, are we going to get to present this to the, the winner? So the plan is to actually have a physical award. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're working on what exactly it might look like. There's actually uh, some neat ideas that I don't want to reveal in case they don't turn out and people get disappointed and be like, oh, man, I would have liked that neat idea to work. Yeah. Uh, so we, we're working on something. I think whether we can actually physically hand it to the player it remains to be seen. We might have to just, you know, send it to the team and ask them to give it to him. But, you know, we might also send, like, Enosaurus to show up at their house uh, with an award, like a publisher's clearinghouse check and some balloons, and knock on their door and film the whole thing and, uh, you know, maybe get Eno arrested. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, what I was looking forward to, the end yeah. part there. Where Eno <laughs> right. gets arrested, yeah. he's taken away. Clayton Kershaw assaults Fangraphs writers would be a really good headline for traffic. <laughs> yeah, it would be. I don't know if it would help our traffic. It'd be. Uh, we don't want to make ourselves the story, Dave Cameron. Uh, that's exactly why we invented the award, to oh, yeah. make ourselves the story. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's why you make awards. That was smart. To give yourself uh, headlines. Yeah. All right. Well, we did that. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think. Well, so if Mike Trout wins, right, people will be like, "Oh yeah, that was obvious." But then if we choose Jonathan Lucroy, people will be like, "Oh, that was a real underground award." Like what you're doing, yeah. you're trying to be contrary. Right. I think no matter what, who who gets selected, people are going to assume there was some motive behind it. Like if we pick Lucroy, it's going to be because we're trying to be, you know, anti-conformist. Uh, hipsters. Right. If we pick Trout, it's because we're in love with Mike Trout and we just think war is the be-all, end-all. Uh, but I, I, I mean, I, I don't know who I'm going to vote for, and the same thing goes for an MVP. But I mean, anyone who's not strongly considering Clayton Kershaw is off their rocker. He's having one of the great pitcher seasons in the history of the game. Like the idea that Kershaw isn't even close to Trout this year is wrong. Uh, so people who are, you know, in the comments were like, "Well, you're obviously just going to give it to Trout." I'm not even sure Trout's the favorite at this point. Yeah, I said he's a favorite, but you know, uh, Clayton Kershaw pitched yesterday. Yeah, and uh, did did well again. I saw some of that game. Yeah, yeah and he he um, he threw. I guess it must have been a changeup. He threw. Did he throw a changeup? Must have a changeup. Looked like a changeup. Uh, that was so far out of the strike zone. And Buster Posey still swung at it. I don't know. And Buster Posey has had. Uh, well, of course, he's he's a very talented batter, and he's had one of the best months uh, of any player or, or you know last thirty days. Whatever I noticed today. Yeah, Posey, Posey's been lighting it up since the All-Star break. Yeah, and he made uh, he made Buster Posey look pretty silly. Yeah, and I think, you know, actually Buster Posey, you could make an argument, is maybe in this Player of the Year uh, discussion as well. I was I don't think I mentioned this on the podcast. I might have, uh, but I was talking with a friend of mine who works in the game, and they're at, you know, at the time we were talking, their internal war metric had Posey tied for number one. Uh, and, you know, that included catcher framing, which Posey is not generally considered as good as LaCroix, but framing numbers actually like him this year. And, uh, you know, he's obviously hitting very well in a pitcher's park. And um, so I think, you know, there's a decent amount of candidates for this yeah. award. It's not, you know, we can joke all we want about it being the Mike Trout award. I'm not sure Trout's going to win. Yeah, all right. Well, uh, that sounds exciting uh, all the way around. I mean, I look forward to it. Yeah, the most exciting part is clearly, you know, getting arrested. Yeah, well, looking forward to that too, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. I mean, that's, that's one of the big things. There's also all these, uh, uh, what do you call them, um, uh, playoff races going on? Yeah, yeah. Because September baseball. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I actually, I don't know if you, you've done this recently. I watched some, uh, Major League Baseball games this weekend. 
Yeah, is that a first for you or not a first? But were uh, you trying to find Wilmer Flores and you got lost? I, yeah, I got a little bit. Yeah, I got um, I got a little bit confused. But uh, no, there were some good games. Uh, well, you, I assume that you, you as, as someone who is, has cheered at least for the Seattle Mariners, you watched some of that uh, Seattle Oakland series. Uh, maybe I you didn't. Did, I did not watch any of the Seattle Oakland series all weekend. Oh yeah, might, might shock you, but I did not. Yeah, well, that was pretty good. Uh, uh yeah. yeah. No, I, I gathered that the games were, uh, fairly competitive. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the Fernando Rodney walk-off walk was probably a little disheartening for, uh, people in Seattle. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, Rodney, uh, Rodney was having some problems with his location, command, yeah. fastball command. I guess it wasn't technically a walk-off because it was, uh, they were the home team. But, right. you know, game losing, extra inning walk. Yeah, right. Frowned upon, generally. Yeah. yeah. I think he, I think he had also, um, I don't know if he had given uh, an intentional walk that inning too, but that always. He did. Yeah, he walked four guys, three of them unintentionally. Yeah. Uh, not a good, not a good inning for Fernando Rodney's control. No, no. you want to do that. Uh, I don't. What, what else? What else do you want? Do you, do you want to talk about any of these playoff races? Does that interest you at all? Uh, well, it does. I I've always just assumed it didn't interest you, but if you actually care, uh, then sure. Okay, yeah. So here's one thing I like to do every day is to look at which team is closest to 50% of making the divisional series because this, to me, is the team that's uh, playing essentially, what, the highest leverage games? Correct. Uh, right now that's the A's, which is surprising if you talked if you said that to yourself from a month ago. Yeah, I mean, the A's collapses, you know, uh, assuming, well, I guess not assuming, if they don't make the playoffs, this will go down as one of the big you know, second half choke jobs in the history of the game. Mm-hmm. Can we? What sort of? Do we have a database we can run on that to find out the, the largest drops in in the playoff uh, playoff odds over the course yeah, of the season. I, so you know, now that we own cool standings, they have historical kind of uh, estimated playoff odds, but it's not based on you know the model we're using now. It's based on kind of the old cool standings model, which. Uh, it's basically just uh, like a run differential calculation with some like recency baked into it. Uh, but I think that goes back to, I don't know, the 1920s or something. They have it for a while back. So, oh, God. Uh, wow. Yeah, so we could talk to David Appleman and be like, hey, tell us the highest point at any point in the season or the highest the highest number a team had at any point in the season where they did not end up in the playoffs, and we could find out what that is. Right. Yeah, we so could it sounds, it. it sounds like an article that we could write. Okay, yeah, well noted. Are you going to yeah. write it? Well, I'm assuming you're not. Yeah, you could take it. Okay. Well, someone will probably take Jeff it. Jeff Sullivan needs ideas usually. He often is wanting ideas. But then, you know, for a guy who feels like he never has a good idea, he writes a lot of good stuff. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, you just we push him in the right direction. Yeah, or, or he just sometimes stumbles into good good, good things. Yeah. Maybe by, maybe by luck. Uh, here's, a, here's a question. I think I know the answer to it, but maybe I don't and maybe other people don't. Uh, for example... I look at the standings in a particular division, right? Like maybe, uh, like the, for example, the, <clears throat> the Nationals have a hundred percent chance of winning the division. Right. So do the Orioles and Angels. Okay, right. So do the Orioles and Angels. But uh, I picked the Nationals maybe because they have the, the least giant lead of all three of those teams. I could be, I could be wrong on that front. And, no, I think uh, that's right. The Orioles and Angels have big leads. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Hey, my point is, so, well, let's take the Angels, right? The Angels have a 100% chance of winning the division. Yep. They're 10 games ahead of the A's, but there are more than 10 games to be played. How is yep. that possible, Dave Cameron? <laughs> uh, so, essentially, the uh, playoff odds are based on simulations. Uh, they're not based on an algorithm that goes through and calculates 
could this ever be possible? Uh, I believe our simulations run 10,000 times. Uh, ideally, you might want to run them somewhat more often than that. Oh, here comes the, here comes a super squeaky ball. There we go. Uh, yeah. That's like even squeakier than the, the the dog that usually shows up. Uh, I think I might have to to move locations <laughs> for this podcast to continue. Oh, I stole the ball. There we go. All right, there you uh, go. The, yeah. Now we might be okay for a little bit until she gets mad that I stole it and didn't throw it. Um, so uh, I think if you ran the simulation, you know, maybe a million times, perhaps, you know, one in a million or two in a million or some number that uh, would not be exactly zero uh, might might occur and the Angels wouldn't win the division. Uh, but for all intents and purposes, uh, you know, maybe it's 99.99%. It's rounded to 100 because uh, it's probably not going to happen. Right. Now, here's a, here's a question for you. It, since we've hosted these, which is – it's like a little bit over a year now, right, that we've had the playoff odds. They came around the middle of last year, I think. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, ha, have you have you found – maybe I've asked you this before. Have you found that your sense, your intuition regarding a, one team's chances of qualifying for the playoffs or not versus another's, do you, do you – uh, have you had to sort of adjust your notion of what a contending team looks like or – what a like a clear a team with a clear you know near hundred percent chance of winning the division looks like. Uh, well, no, because I mean, just because we didn't have the one fan graphs didn't mean playoff odds didn't exist. Right? Like, I mean, cool standings was a site before we purchased them uh, that I used regularly and other sites, uh, including the one that Jeff Passan uh, you know pimped for heavily last week. So we're gonna not mention their name just out of fairness because oh, Passan yeah. Passan said. Baseball perspectives too many times, so you just so, said it though. Yeah, I know. I was, oh, no. uh, there was no way to. I guess for people who didn't listen to the audio, it might not have. Uh, anyway, yeah, I ruined my own joke. Yeah. Uh, so baseball perspectives have been playoff odds for a very long time. Uh, Clay Davenport's done some of his own. So I think you know we've had these kinds of models in the wild before, and ours is not so different than everyone else's. It uses different inputs, but the math is basically the same. Okay. Yeah, that's that's fine. Uh, I have two two quick questions. Uh, what the second one's going to be about base clocking? See, I'm foreshadowing it again. So there's yeah, a lot yeah. of that's right. really the the story that people have come to. I feel like I should just hang up before you ask that question, just so that it can be like a teaser for next week. Ooh, next week. Uh, one is, am I the only one who's getting all the ads on Fangraphs.com for Brazilian butt lift? Probably. Oh. Is that a thing that you've been searching for lately? I, I actually did look up Brazil butt lift one time, and, and I guess now that you mention it, yeah, it seems like after I did that, that's when I've been getting the ads. You don't get yeah. any, so you get zero ads for Brazil butt lift? I have never one, I have never even heard the term. Hmm. Okay, now I know that. Hey, so base clogging, right? Yeah, base <laughs> clogging. You're, you know who uh, really clogs bases? Who's that? Brazilians with big butts. Yeah, I guess they would be all, yeah, they would be hurt. Yeah, so now that was a segue. Uh-huh. That is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're clogging up the bases. They, what, so what's the deal? Why, why Dave Cameron, uh, after spending years, or on the tail of years being spent, uh, you know, helping people to understand that a base percentage is important, why, why are you now Arguing the exact opposite, Dave Cameron. Yeah, uh, clearly my my post was intended to say on base percentage you should never look at again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and guys who get on base are terrible. Yeah, uh, that's that was the meaning of the post. Yeah. Uh, no, I think you know uh, any time that 
any of these kind of individual metrics that measures one part of the game, whether it's on base percentage or pitcher strikeouts or, um, I don't know, uh, base stealing or bunting or clutch hitting or whatever. Like there's all kinds of metrics that measure some individual outcome. Uh, but they're all omitting large parts of the game. Even like, uh, you know, WRC plus, which is a very good metric to measure total hitting, doesn't include position, defense, base running, doesn't include significant parts of baseball. Uh, on base percentage, super useful. You want to know a player's on base percentage. You also want to know his slugging percentage. You also want to know how many times he scores when he gets on base. Uh, you know, you, you want to know what position he plays. I think, uh, the goal at Fangraphs is probably just to I mean, the goal is to get you to read the site. That's really the goal. But the secondary goal is to remind people that there's a lot of ways to be valuable at baseball. Uh, and, I, you know, I think one of the problems with the kind of the sabermetric community is as on-base percentage kind of grew in popularity, uh, you know, it can be kind of a shorthand for people to just criticize players who create value in ways that isn't getting on-base. Like, I think uh, I saw a discussion last week about the value of J.D. Martinez to the Tigers. And J.D. Martinez has had an excellent year, is one of the reasons the Tigers are still contending. Uh, you know, it's made up for Miguel Cabrera having a down year. Uh, they were able to trade away Austin Jackson because he's hitting well. But he has like a, I don't know, a 330 on base percentage or something. It's pretty low. Almost all of his offensive value is coming from hitting for power. And so I saw people like denigrating J.D. Martinez this season because he's not actually posting a good on base percentage, which is ridiculous because J.D. Martinez is still having a good season. Right, and yeah. His skill set lies. He hits the ball. If you, I guess, if you hit enough home runs, then you can make up for a lot. Yeah, and the same goes with base running. So, like, uh, you know, some of these guys who only get on base, you know, thirty-one, thirty-two percent of the time, if they score forty-five percent of the times, they reach base because they're really fast and they, you know, steal steal bases to get themselves into run, scoring position, and then they score from second on singles at a very high rate their times on base are simply more valuable than David Ortiz's times on base. And David Ortiz, you know, has had a really great career and is a really, you know, was a really great player. Now he might just be a good player. Uh, he's scoring on 14% of the times he reaches base this year. Now, you could say, fine, some of this is the Red Sox offense and the fact that the people behind David Ortiz have not hit well. That's true. And I think the, the post, I tried to make it clear that this is not the sole indicator of a player's base running value. Uh, but at the same time, David Ortiz... Is super slow. And all the other guys on the list who don't score when they reach on base are super slow. Speed matters a lot for this. And so when we're looking at, you know, the, these first baseman DH slugger types, and we say, oh man, they lead the league in on base percentage. That doesn't necessarily mean their, the, their on base percentage is, you know, the idea of like a 30 point lead over some faster guy who scores at a higher rate. It might actually not be any better. Right. Here's a question. Do you think if you were to take the, um, for the home to first times of all the players on this list, yeah, uh, I mean, or, or of all, I shouldn't even say all the, on this list. Of, if you t- if you were to take uh, one list, right, uh, which is the run scoring rate of all qualified uh, batters in the major leagues, right, uh-huh. and then you had also the home to first times or some other proxy for speed of all those same players. Do you think there'd be a pretty strong correlation? I think there would be. I think you could probably. Uh, yeah, I'm guessing it'd be .6 or .7 or something. I mean, there's no question that team offense matters some. Like, Kyle Seeger's on the list. He's not, like, the fastest guy in the world, but he's on the list because he hits fifth or sixth for the Mariners, most mostly fifth this year. And the guys who hit sixth through ninth for the Mariners are terrible. 
Mm-hmm. So he's on this list because his teammates are atrocious. Yeah. Uh, I noticed Andy Chavez has gotten a lot of plate appearances for those Mariners. Yeah, he's hitting first and second a lot, which is one of the reasons the Mariners might miss the wild card game. Uh, and, and he's not even uh, – uh, he hasn't really posted uh, particularly good fielding numbers in recent years. No, he, yeah, he, ever since Unieski Betancourt destroyed his knee, he lost all of his value. Uh, but yet the Mariners continue to play him, which, you know, is a thing that they choose to do. Yeah, he's earned a lot of playing time. No, no, then. he has not earned. He's been given. Oh, he's been given. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely can, different. Can the, um, can the Mariners write that off as a charitable donation then? Uh, I don't think so, but I'm not a tax accountant. Maybe a CPA can chime in. Yeah. Well, yeah. not literally, but maybe they put it down. In, yeah. Well, there can, could be a CPA who's in a bell choir, and then they could chime in. Very strong. Very yeah, strong. Thanks. Uh, um, yeah, and so is, hey, hey, should we get the, should we get the home to first times on the site? Do you think? Do you think uh, I think, I think those might be appearing in the not too distant future. We are getting, some new data uh, yeah. from our data providers, and I think Home to First might be in there. I could be wrong, but I like the idea of data. Yeah, I like the idea. I mean, that's that's generally regarded as a pretty good. Uh, I mean, not just a proxy; it is a representation of one kind of speed. It's, but how, you me- it's how scouts measure speed. Right. <laughs> it's like, in fact, right. It's how they do it. Right, and it's not. And it's not the. I mean, I guess. Because I don't necessarily know. You hear about certain players, like f- he's fast once underway, as opposed right. to like the yeah. degree to which he's able to accelerate. Right. Um, I don't really know the difference because I'm neither. I am neither fast underway nor do I get to top speed quickly. Uh, do you even have a top speed, or is it just it's the same? It's like a flat <laughs> line. Walking. Yeah. Walking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's three miles an hour at all times. Yeah, but I guess those are two different types of things. Do, could you? Can you tell the difference? Um, between like a good first step and the, you know, good top speed, I think, I think it's perceivable maybe more so on defense than on the bases. Uh, I think in watching a player, it's tough to, it's tough to say, oh man, he got, he went first to third on that because he had a good reaction versus he was just fast. Right. I'll, I'll tell you, uh, and actually you've, you, you've hit the 30 minute threshold, so you've done it once again, Dave Cameron. Thanks. Uh, but I will say, uh, for me, not a scout. However, I feel very comfortable in I in having a, I believe that Ryan Rayburn is not a great defender. <laughs> yeah, I think that every person who's ever watched agrees with you. Uh, yeah, he just he. It's actually funny because like he, I don't I assume he's reasonably athletic. I mean, he's athletic enough to have played in the majors for some time and played for some decent teams and uh, that sort of thing. And he's certainly you know he's done some hitting at, di- at different points. Um. He he really seems to not he doesn't really know what he's doing in the field frequently. Yeah, he's in the league because he hits lefties. Okay. And then they have to put him somewhere. Yeah, right. But he's he it's, it kind of doesn't matter where you put him. You know, cuz frequently right like you take a oh, you take uh, a shortstop and put him in right field, he's probably going to play that position better. Right. Yes. Usually, the yeah, the harder positions are played by better athletes. But I feel like you put Rayburn anywhere, and he's going. It's going to be equally. There's going to be equal difficulty for him because he doesn't seem to have any more of a clue in a corner outfield position than he does at second base, which he's also played before. So I think the, it is true that he will be bad anywhere, except maybe first base. He might be okay at first base, uh, but he will be worse. He will 
hurt his team more at a position where the ball is hit more often. And I think this is one of the things that people mistake. They're like, oh, well, this guy's bad everywhere, so the positional adjustments don't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this guy's going to be just as bad in right field as he would at shortstop. It's, that might be true on a per-play basis, except there's, you know, twice as many balls at the shortstop as there's right field, so therefore you're going to be twice as bad. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, uh, I guess he's uh, he's got over 2,000 plate appearances in the major leagues. He's, I mean, he's had a couple good seasons. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, he's not been totally useless. He's yeah. just bad at defense. Yeah. All right. Good job, Ryan Rayburn. You know, uh, he's... You know, bad job, Ryan Rayburn. Well, bad job at defense, but, you know, good job uh, parlaying what skills you do have into a major league career. Right. Uh, yeah. Does he get a pension? Is he going to get a pension? Yeah. I think once you're on the 40-man roster, you get a pension. Like, you you play a day, you get a pension. Is it the same amount as the guys who were uh, who made a lot of money? I think it is. I think the um, the Players Association, though, I could be wrong about this. This is just going off memory. I yeah. think it's once you're in the union, which is getting on the 40-man roster, yeah. <laughs> is how you get in the union, uh, or at least maybe even appear in a major league game. Uh, there's some qualification that has to do with, like, you're either in or you're out. It's a binary line, and then from there you get, uh, you know, whatever the defined benefit uh, that they've set up is. Does Kevin Does Kevin Millar get it? Probably. Uh, they should take it away for his frosted tips, though. That should be like a policy. Like if you have frosted tips, no retirement for you. Well, I ask because I believe at one point uh, Millar uh, was a scab oh, player. Oh, right. Yeah. So maybe maybe not. He might be excluded from the union. Yeah. Because uh, I think they're right. Players who were replacement players. We're never allowed to rejoin. Right. So, right. So Kevin Millar probably doesn't get it. And Brian Daubach might have fit that category, too. Right. And the Red Sox had a lot of these, like, uh, scrubby first-base TH guys who didn't join the union. Actually, at their their peak, though, Daubach-Millar would have been a strong platoon. Uh, yeah, I don't think they peaked at the same time, though. Correct. Yeah, well, if you could, you know, go, if you could arrange, rearrange time, I guess. Yeah, right. Yeah. All right. You're done. Hey, thanks, okay. uh, thanks a lot, Dave Cameron. Dude, thank you. All right, that is uh, that has been Dave Cameron, managing editor of Fangraphs. I'm Carson Stooley. This has been Fangraphs Audio.